with hearts that are worshipful and that you will do whatever you want to do in our lives individually, in the lives of this church. This is your time. We thank you for your word. We depend on your spirit to rightly see your truth. We ask it all for the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Man, thank you for a sweet time singing to Jesus. I would tell you to take a seat, but you already did. So, There we go. I want to say to you, uh, a heartfelt thank you. Um, I've been telling you, I kind of, I told somebody this week, it's interesting as a pastor when you say, hey, we're going to go and serve the community. When you step out and make plans to serve the community um, and you say, yeah, we're going to do it, meaning we, the church, then it's like, oh, I hope people show up, right? Because if not, it's not going to be we doing it. It's going to be me looking silly. Um, but I want to thank you so much as we had the opportunity to feed this construction crew uh, from over here building the new Aldi site and uh, have them over this past Wednesday. And so many of you were able to show up. I know a lot of you weren't even able to be here, um, but just being here and serving them and being the hands and feet of Jesus to them. Um, Wednesday was a good day. It was a good day just to, to see a smile in some guys' faces and man, to just say to them, we love you because Jesus has loved us. And so we want to show you kindness. And that's really the whole story. And that was like it, that the preacher didn't have to preach or anything. We just wanted to love them. It was like, you could tell they were like, what's happening here? This is different. Right. Um, but later that day, I want to share with you, I got a text from, uh, the construction, uh, crew, uh, the guy who's over all that. And, and he just said, Hey, we really appreciate everything you did for us today. That's all they talked about afterward was how good it was. And I'm just saying to you, like, nobody fell on their knees that I'm aware of over there. They, they didn't in here and say, I need Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. But I just, just say to you that I believe with my whole heart that when we intentionally take steps to show uh, unmerited, unasked for, undeserved favor to people just because Jesus has done that for us, people notice. When we do that, people notice. When we live like Jesus and love like Jesus, people notice. All right? And we want to start doing more and more of that in Dublin, in Lawrence County. And so thank you so much for having a heartbeat for that and for showing up and showing out this past Wednesday. All right? It was hard for me when I was here this past Wednesday because a couple of weeks ago, I guess three and a half weeks ago or so now, um, I made the decision. I've made the same decision several times in my life, but I needed to make it again, and so I did. I made the decision that I was going to get in shape again. And so... I, uh, I don't know who's clapping. I don't know if that's supposed to mean that it was well, much needed. That felt like an insult, but I'm sure you meant it as encouragement. Whoever that was, I'm not looking. I don't want to know. It was my wife. We'll talk about it at lunch. Anyway, all right? But I made, I made the decision a few weeks ago, like just how it works for me. I'm not great at moderation. So if there are things that I need to not do, I just need to cut them out and go for it in the opposite direction. That's just how I live my life. And so I made the decision, I'm going for it. I'm going to stop eating poorly and I'm going to start exercising again. I've been doing that for a few weeks now. And then this past Wednesday, Miss Marilyn Shank, our deaconess, who should have a heart of service, brought some peach cobbler up here. I would think that she made it, but I believe it came from heaven. Okay, I think it <laughs> fell straight down as manna into the, the pan, okay? And so Wednesday, I went, man, I'm going to have just, just one piece of peach cobbler. And one piece turned into two pieces of peach cobbler. 
And that was a bad thing on Wednesday, and it was even worse because on Monday night, I had a meeting with, with some leaders in the church. We typically eat a meal there, and, and the sweetest, most tender-hearted, gentle kind would never tempt a soul. Miss Natalie Gooch got the largest pan of banana pudding you've ever seen in your life. It was huge, and it was the good banana pudding. It tasted just like you put it in your mouth, and you bit it, and you weren't sure if anything was even in your mouth. It was so light and airy, and yet it tasted like banana heaven, right? It was just so good. And so I had some that day. I went back on my thing that I had decided on Monday night. I had a serving of banana pudding. And after we finished, I have to say this because not because I want to or I would otherwise, but some of you were there. So after (laughs) I did that, I then went back and had another serving of banana pudding. So in two out of three days, I've doubled down on dessert. And this is me who is no longer eating junk. This is me who is absolutely sweating my backside off, exercising on my spin cycle. I'm getting after it. I'm in there. You can ask the kids. I think they've been concerned about me. They can hear me. And I'm back there just, (gasps) I mean, it's, it's not much different than that. That's literal, okay? This is me who's made the change. And yet, two out of three days, I do the direct opposite of what I've been about. And I'm just being a zillion percent honest with you. It was really easy. I had a big battle in my mind. Like, okay, I started, but I've started and stopped before. (laughs) And that banana pudding was good. And I know where it came from. (laughs) I could eat that banana pudding. I could get one of those big pans like Natalie got. I could have a square every day for lunch, probably for like 20 days in a row. I just felt so defeated and I felt like it was hopeless for me to keep trying and keep moving forward because a couple of moments, a couple of days out of three and a half or four weeks were steps in the wrong direction and all of a sudden I doubted my whole direction and my whole decision. We're we're studying the book of Ephesians by prayerful design because we believe what it says is that God has remade us that he has recreated you, that he has re-identified you, that who you were pre-Jesus is not the same as who you are post-Jesus. And yet the reality that all of us know is that sometimes that remaining part of you that hasn't quite figured it out yet sticks its ugly head up and you see some old you. And it's really easy in that moment to trust your sin and your shame more than you trust God's word and his promise. But God has said that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're new in him. So we're hoping that as we study through this for multiple weeks, this is week 11, I believe, that if you get nothing else, you get this just Holy Spirit gnawing in in your heart that just won't let you trust your flesh, won't let you trust your old self. But there's just a, a strong, resilient whisper statement always there. No You're new. You're made new. Last week, as we were looking at a group of verses from chapter 4, we saw that we were made new and that in our new identity, God gifted us. He gave us supernatural capacity that he empowers and fuels through us that we must step into by faith. He gives us these gifts, these abilities that he uses through our lives to reach beyond ourselves to bring his presence into other people's lives so that we could build each other up so that others could grow into Jesus and we could leave more and more of that old, broken, wounded, hurting us behind and we could grow more and more up into Christ and the wholeness that he wants to give us. That's what we saw last week. And that's the thought in mind as we pick back up today in Ephesians chapter 4. 
going to look first at verse 17. It says this, Paul to the church in Ephesus. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. I'm going to stop there for a second because I believe it's really important that we don't rush past that first verse. Catch it that he says in the very first phrase, I'm saying this to you, but he doesn't just say, hey, listen, I think this is important. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm, I'm telling you something. He says, I say this to you and testify in the Lord. He's calling our awareness to the fact that what he is saying is not only his words, but this is something that he is confident the Spirit of God is speaking through him to the church at Ephesus, and he's preserved it for us, God has, so that he can speak it into our lives today. I don't know if you grew up with siblings, but they come and tell you, hey, you need to get in the shower. You go, no, I don't want to get in the shower. I'll get in the shower in a minute. You go, no, you know that mom wants you to get in the shower. And you're like, I, whatever, I ain't getting in the shower. But then it's a whole different thing if the sibling comes and says, hey, mom told me to come tell you, get in the shower. <laughs> All of a sudden, right, it's not just my awareness of what mom wants. It's not just somebody else telling me what they think is a good idea that might honor mom. It is sent as a messenger from mom. And in my house, mom had a big, thick leather Alabama belt with rubber bands around the end that she would snap together and I would run shrieking, okay? Right? That mom has sent a messenger to say, get in the shower. That's a different message, isn't it? <laughs> That's different than just your brother thinking you might need to hose off a little bit. <laughs> And in a similar way, Paul is saying, what I'm saying to you now, you need to listen to. It's important because it's not my opinion. It's not something that I just hold to even as fact. It's not just mine. This is something I'm testifying to you in the Lord. The Lord is on board with this. He wants you to hear this. I say and I testify in the Lord, what? That you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. Now, that's a little bit weird and problematic if we remember the setting Right? This letter was likely written to the whole church and it was probably true that the whole church was gathered together with the leaders and everybody came together and this letter was read to the whole church at once. And we already know from our study of the book so far that a whole lot of the people who were making up this church, who were followers of Jesus together, that's what a church is, were Gentiles. <laughs> they were not Jewish, which means they were Gentiles. And here's Paul saying to them, listen, God's telling me to make sure you know that you must not walk in the way of the Gentiles. Can you imagine sitting there if, if they said today, if I walked up here today and said to you, hey, you can't live anymore like you're from Georgia. That's sin. What are you Georgia people going to do about that? Right? You see, the word Gentile was used in a couple of different ways in this day and culture. It was used, yes, ethnically to refer to those who weren't Jews but it was also used spiritually or in terms of faith and religion to refer to those who were paganistic, those who didn't know Yahweh, God. Kind of like in Alabama, we may have this term here in Georgia, I hadn't heard it yet, but in Alabama we have a term, it's called barner. I don't know if you know what a barner is, it's barn with an E-R. A barner is an Auburn fan because we call them all barn, like all shucks. <laughs> right? They're a barner. And so when you say a barner, that means they're a fan of that team. But my wife can tell you, and I'm not necessarily proud of it, but it also so happens that people do things that have nothing to do with football. And at times I'll say, man, they're a barner, right? I'm saying they are crazy. They're nuts. They're doing something crazy. Probably just cut me off in traffic. And I said, uh, obviously a barner, right? 
They might even watch football, but I'm saying they belong to the camp of those crazy folks who cheer for the team over in Cowtown. Right? That's what I'm saying. In a very similar way, Paul is saying, hey, listen, you're still ethnically a Gentile. You're still not a Jew. You didn't go undergo an ethnic transformation. That would be wild. <laughs> that didn't happen. That's not part of how God remade you. But understand this, there are still those out there living in the same mindset that you used to have, the way of the Gentiles, the way of denying and refusing to acknowledge God and not seeking to honor God with your life. He says, listen, you do this, and if you choose to, you're walking in a way that is futile. See that in the last phrase there? He says, in the futility of their minds. I'll just remind you that to be futile is to be incapable of producing good outcomes. Incapable of producing anything of true benefit. Now, I don't know what our stance is in here today, and this is not the topic, but it is the illustration that came to mind, so we're going to run with it. Did you know that if you were to choose to buy a lottery ticket today, everybody, some, we just got weird in here. <laughs> some of y'all are like, oh, I know you didn't, Center, and some of y'all are like, went by this morning on my way to church. I don't know, right? <laughs> right? Investing in education, praying for the rain to come, right? Like, whatever, right? <laughs> I'm not saying do it. I'm not saying don't do it. That's not the point, right? But did you know that if you go in and you play the big lotteries, that your chances on, on the far end are like one in 292 million of hitting a jackpot? 292 million people, and you're one of those that they might pick you to win, right? Uh, on the narrow end, on the good end, on the positive end, it's like one in 176 million. So on a good day, if you wake up and you're going, you're looking good today, your hair looks right, right? Everything's flowing at work. I'm going to go buy that ticket because I'm feeling good about things today. One in 176 million. Not very likely. <laughs> but you could buy that ticket, and there could still be some little tatter of a chance. But if you went to the gas station and you said, give me one of those, and you paid for it, and as you were walking out the door, you took the ticket that you just bought and crumpled it up into a ball and threw it in the trash can, it's futile. <laughs> it's totally incapable of producing anything in your life. And Paul is pointing to these followers of Jesus, and, and he's not trying to be rude with them. He's not trying to be sharp with them, but he's trying to be honest with them because a hard word can make for a soft heart, and we want that. It's when the doctor comes in and gives us the bad news that he would be wrong to withhold. <laughs> i got to give you the bad news so that I can give you the help. Paul's saying to him, listen, some things in your life might look good and shiny, and they may be producing some kind of benefits, but if they're not lined up with Jesus, if you're walking in a way that doesn't seek to honor him, that doesn't flow from knowing him, those things might be shiny, but ultimately you can just crump them up and throw them in the trash can because eternally they don't matter. Therefore, he says, you must not walk that way. Walking this active, willful, ongoing. He's saying you must not live a life that ignores the reality of Jesus. You must not because it's futile. Now, I'm sure most of us today would go, yeah, on board with that, believe that. I say yes. That's easy when we're sitting in here together and we got the word open and we've just been singing, God, I'll make room for you. We all say yes. But as the old hymn says, we're all prone to wander prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love, right? If we're honest with ourselves and honest with each other, we tend to start to doubt a little bit, right? That this life was so bad. 
we, we tend to doubt a little bit that, that this life is futile, that, that, hey, maybe if I just do it just right or I just didn't position myself perfectly, if I just do it this way, it'll actually make some good stuff happen. We start to think differently. We need a little bit of convincing sometimes. We need a reminder. Thankfully, Paul brings one. He's going to unpack why living life led by yourself will always end empty. Why is it futile? Verse 18, the, they being the Gentiles... They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So, man, he just, he just showed us right, this progression kind of in reverse. He said, here's, here's the outcome. Here's what it looks like in the lives of those who are living this way, leading themselves, not in need of a Lord to be their king, their owner, their leader, not in need in their minds of Jesus. It looks like this, and then he's going to dig down further until we get to what really started the whole thing to begin with. What was the catalyst? He says, listen, they're darkened in their understanding. They're darkened in their understanding. They can't see straight. They can't see right on their best day when they see. They see things that are still blurry. When they, when they see with sharpness, they still can't put the sharp things together in life to make the right pieces of the puzzle make a full picture. It's not that you're worse at life than other people. It's that all of us, apart from Jesus, are incapable of rightly assessing and navigating life on our own apart from Jesus because without him, we are dark in our understanding. Have you ever tried to navigate a dark room? This is the first thing that came to mind when I thought about darkness as I was thinking about this week was one time I stopped with a friend on the way home. We were on the way home late on a weekend night, been out on the weekend hanging out, and we stopped for some reason at a cemetery. I don't know, right? If you're wondering why, not, I, right, not good, right? We stopped for a second. I don't know if we were trying to call somebody, what we were trying to do, but in the dark, it's amazing how all of a sudden I can see lots of stuff there that aren't really there, <laughs> When you're sitting dark in a cemetery, it's like somebody just walked through that door right there. That door on the church with the glass front, somebody just walked across that door right there. Somebody's in that church. I was so sure. We zipped out of that place so fast. <laughs> so scared. I remember walking through a church one time, walking through the sanctuary, and it was pitch black in there. And I was walking with the youth pastor, and I remember walking directly into a music stand that somebody had left right in the middle of the center of the aisle. I guess the pastor had been preaching. And when I hit that thing, I thought the world was over. Like, I don't know if you've been there, but my senses all went up to level 11, and it was like, whoa, something bad is in this place, right? this, this evil music stand. But what's interesting is that my friend, my mentor, the youth pastor, he could guide me right around stuff because he goes through there all the time. He knows where everything is with his eyes closed. He could describe the room to you. Jesus knows how to get where we need to go. But we won't see it if we have only our understanding because it's darkened apart from him. And this leads us to be, he says, alienated from God. It's not just that we don't know the way. We, we couldn't even know the way and get there if we didn't have the guide to take us. 
in that, in that same church, we used to play a game, which playing games in church, I don't know how that happened, right? But we would, we would play a game sometimes late on Sunday nights after all the adults went home. The youth pastor would let us play a game called Underground Church. And it was supposed to be a witnessing tool where you learned how to tell about Jesus. There was four or five people who were kind of the it, if I hadn't seek is it. They were called the Gestapo. They were the police who were seeking out all the Christians. And if you got captured, you could do one of two things. If the Gestapo found you, you could either witness to them, tell them about Jesus. If they thought you did a good job, they would say they came to Jesus and you could keep walking around. Or you can make an excuse. <laughs> you can make up a lie as to why you were out, and if it was important enough, right, you'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, officer, I actually got out because in the kindness of my heart, I decided to go to the store and get you something to drink. I figured you might be parched. And if they liked it, they would let you go, right? But it's interesting, man, my youth pastor, he didn't just know how to navigate this one room with the stand. He knew about secret tunnels, literally, that went into the church. There was a painting in this church. You could pick it up, take it off the wall. There was a hole big enough for a person to climb in. You could go through a, a little tunnel area and end up on the other side of the church and come up in this closet, like behind some brooms and stuff. Nobody even knew was there. Right? But without him, there's no way I'm getting there. And here's what Paul says. Without Jesus, you're not getting there. And if you're living life led by yourself, you're alienated from the impact of God. If you're trying to do it for yourself and then just attach Jesus' name at the end and go, oh, it's for his glory. God has not called you to just do your best for his glory. God has called you to follow him as he leads you to what's best for his glory. He says, listen, this is what life looks like that doesn't honor God. This is what life looks like that leads to travesty for you. You have a darkened understanding. You can't see clearly. You're alienated from God. And where does this come from? It comes from this internal ignorance, he said. Ignorance, you just don't know. You've just never truly been exposed to the truth or you've never accepted the truth. So you're living in such a way as if you don't know. You ever been in a place where everybody else obviously knows kind of the rules and where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do and you have no clue? That feels weird, doesn't it? <laughs> everybody else gets it. You don't have any idea. He says, listen, if you're trying to live a self-led life, you are living with ignorance because you're not looking to the leader. And that leads to, he says, a couple of, of branches off of that sensuality, he mentions. Sensuality, we often taken to romantic spheres, and it belongs there, but it doesn't belong only there. To, to be sensuous is, is literally to just follow the impulse of your senses. It's I have a sense that tells me, ooh, banana pudding tastes good, and I don't check it, I don't think about it, I don't pray on it, I don't evaluate it. It says banana pudding's good, and I say run to the freezer. Right? Let's get it. Right? Whatever my senses tell me, I let them lead me because when I'm alienated from God, something's got to lead me. And what better to lead me than these impulses and these desires that I feel? This is why he can say that we're greedy for every impure act. Listen, this is heavy stuff that we're hearing. Maybe you feel a little bit like the air sucked out of the room, or maybe there's a little bit of, an, of a weight sitting at, at the top of your soul just a little bit. That may not all be a bad thing as long as it doesn't stay there. This horror story of stumbling through the dark and trying to figure life out, ignorant and alienated from the one who knows, that is your life without Jesus. You can't do it. You need somebody who's not calloused and hard and hard-hearted. You need somebody with a gentle, soft heart. You need somebody who's not ignorant who can lead you. You need somebody who's not all of these things. That's where 
Paul is glad to tell you. The answer in verse 20. All that stuff, that horror story, he says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Praise God. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. See that? Underline that in your heart if nowhere else. He, he displays this, this ugly, broken, scary way of living life. And then he says, but here comes the pendulum swing. Here's the hinge and here comes the hope in the door. Here's where the weight sitting on the top of your soul gets to fly away. If you've trusted in Jesus, you didn't meet him in that way. You didn't meet him living that way. You didn't say, hey, Jesus, I want to know you, so here's how I'll live to come towards you to receive what you're doing in my life. That's not how that happened. He says that's not how you learn Jesus, assuming that you've heard about him in these ways, assuming that you've heard and received this gospel. Here's what I think Paul is hoping to point out to them, people that he believes are followers of Jesus, but they need a reminder they need a new conviction maybe from the Spirit of God to go, wait a minute, I've forgotten that I'm supposed to be living differently. What I think he's wanting them to get and what I think he's wanting them to, to see is this, is that if you've truly received the gospel, if you truly know Jesus, you had to do it through the pathway of repentance. If there's been no repentance, you might have had some intellectual agreement. You might have had some cultural agreement, some social association with the church. But you haven't been transformed yet if it wasn't through the pathway of repentance because that's how God does it. It's not that you're not good enough to be able to do it. Nobody's good enough to be able to do it. It doesn't work that way. Never forget getting a very convincing set of text messages that I was in a whole lot of trouble with the IRS over some unpaid taxes. Man, I'm the kind of guy who will straight up worry. So I was just sitting at home trying to think through. I'm pulling out. I have very detailed binders and records full of papers, stuff. I got envelopes, just torn envelopes. I'm like, I don't know. There might be something on the envelope I need to tell them about, right? I got all kinds of stuff because I never want to not have what I need to prove what I need to prove. I'm going through stuff. I'm sitting at home thinking like, no, this can't be right. They say they've been trying to reach me. They said they haven't been able to get me. And like tomorrow's the last day. And I was just not doing well. Like, I'm at home looking at Jamie like, I, know, I, I mean, I did my best to make sure we paid all the taxes we were supposed to pay. I hadn't tried to cheat anybody, whatever. And I, I called my friend Dawn, who was an accountant. And I said, hey, I, I usually am pretty alert to scams, but I want you to read this thing that they sent me a text message. Can I forward it to you? Listen to this. This sounds legit language that they're using. She said, I don't even have to read it. I said, what? She said, I don't even have to read it. You said that the IRS texted you? <laughs> Why y'all laughing at a brother? Man, I'm sure I just had a hard day. Can y'all give me some slack? She said, I don't have to read it. And I said, why? She said, because you said that the IRS texted you. Is that how you got the message? It's a text message. I said, yes. She said, they never contact people via text. <laughs> They're not going to text you. They're not going to phone call you. All right. They're not going to throw a birthday party and invite you. Right. Whatever way that somebody's trying to fool you into thinking that the IRS is talking to you, the IRS will send you something in the mail. If you didn't get it in the mail, it's not from them. And I'm me because I like to worry about things. I'm like, you're sure though? You're sure? Because I mean, like, what if they tried the mail and I moved, right? I moved from one house to another. So what if they tried the mail, they couldn't get the mail. So she's like, Jason, 
they will send it 70 times before they send you a text message because they're never going to text you. It's not how they do it. Listen, an IRS message can only be received in one way. Genuine faith in Jesus can only be received in one way. And that way, from the beginning, has come with a call to repentance. Repentance, a God-inspired change of mind, heart, and action. I see something about God that inspires me to change the way I think. And I go, God, help me think differently. To change the way that I evaluate and feel and assess my heart, and therefore changing my action, what flows out of my life. He's saying, listen, you already know that you need to leave that life behind if you truly know Jesus because you knew that when you came. (laughs) You didn't come to Jesus because you were captured in your sin and, and incapable of escaping eternal damnation and go, hey, I'm captured in my own sin, but I want to come to you and bring all this junk with me that keeps me. No, you went, I am bound here and I'm my own worst problem. Set me free, please, Jesus. He says, you heard that, you learned that. What does that look like? It looks like a putting off of your old self, he says. Putting off your old self is a definitive, decisive action. It is, I am choosing by the power of the grace of God in me to not live this way anymore. And listen, I'm I'm, I'm so glad that there has been a, a strong right emphasis in recent years in the American Christian church to preach the love and the grace and the kindness of Jesus. But understand this, with a right emphasis on his love and his grace, we have wrongly forgotten the fact that the gospel will call to us and love us and accept us just as we are. But the gospel that calls us just as we are also calls us not to remain just as we are. If the gospel's not changing you, then the message that you've received may not be the gospel. If the Jesus that you see is not awe-inspiring and worth wrapping your whole life around as best you can, then you probably have heard about a Jesus that doesn't quite line up with the real one in the Scriptures. You didn't hear about a hero who reached into the depths of depravity and lifted you out and gave you new life. You want to live for him. And so Paul gives a reminder to these people who've entrusted that. And he says, put off your old self. Listen, I'm not going to dive into a thousand different avenues and try to decide for you. I trust the Holy Spirit. Are there places that your old self is doing more living in your life than your new regenerated Christ-led life? The message is not be good so that God will accept you. The message is the Holy God and His Son Jesus has accepted you. So go do good to honor Him. Go trust His leadership. And see your life be blessed and all the brokenness you don't bring your own way. So take it off. Put off the old self. Don't do those things. Okay, great, but what am I supposed to do? Thankfully, Paul tells us, verse 23. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He doesn't just say in your minds. He says in the spirit of your minds. I believe he's trying to bring a connotation of morality, a connotation of this evaluating and deciding how you're going to live. It's not just logic. It's not just, well, if I 
put my money here and do that with it, that'll work out this way and I'll be successful. No, it's more than that. It's drawing my spirit, my soul into play. And I'm going, it may be true that if I put my money here, it'll work out this way and I'll have more money than I had before. But what if that's not God's intentions for the resources that he's blessed me with? Right? He says, listen, be renewed in your mind. Being renewed is not a one-time thing. It's a continual process. It's an action that you have to choose, but it's also one that's performed on you. It's a chosen passive action, if you will. It's kind of like from time to time you go and you get a haircut. You choose to go and put yourself in a place where you hand somebody money and you sit in their prescribed location and then they take a sharp object near your head. You choose to do that. Why? So that they will then take an action and trim your hair up like you like it. You're choosing to put yourself in a place where someone performs an action. And when we come to Jesus, we don't come with the burden of having to change our own selves because we're not capable. Let that weight go. But we do have the obligation and the opportunity to come regularly and sit at the feet of Jesus with his word open and our hearts and minds open to his spirit and be changed by him. Let him change us. You are renewed in your mind, and that changes your values, and that'll change how you live, and therefore you'll be starting to live more and more in line with the new self and casting off the old self. But it doesn't happen in an hour on a Sunday with some crazy guy up front trying to help you understand the Bible. That won't be enough. It doesn't happen once a week in five minutes so you can say, okay, I feel good about it. I spent some time with God. I know rap lyrics from songs from 30 years ago because I spent time recording them on cassette tapes and rewinding them and listening again and rewinding and listening again so that I could go to class and sing them in front of my friends. And my friends would be like, man, you know all the lyrics. I'd be like, I know. I know the Fresh Prince was in West Philadelphia when he was born and raised. And I know that it was on the playground that he spent most of his days. And I know that you know the rest of the song, so I'm not going to say it to you. But I know every word. And I know it without even having to think hard about it because I've watched every episode of The Fresh Prince probably seven times. TBS was my best friend in the summer, okay? What I'm saying to you is what you usually and regularly and normally expose yourself to over and over again will shape you. You'll either be shaped by things that will distract you from the leadership of God in your life and will distract you from the purpose and mission of God through your life or you'll be shaped by the God of your life. And he's much better at shaping than any other agent. Will we come and sit and be renewed by him in the spirit of our minds so that we can put on the new self and start living perfectly? Absolutely not. Not even close. There's no reason to even start having that conversation. right? But I don't have to live in defeat with my head down feeling like I'm lower than the lowest scum on the earth because I can never get it right because God's power through me can transform me from one phase of glory to another. I can grow in maturity in Christ if I will submit myself to the place where he renews my mind. Not because Jason promised you, not because you try hard enough, but because Jesus has promised you and he has proven his commitment to your growth in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Nobody's more committed to you than that. Father of Jesus in the room today. Another, another hard word to preach because it's saying, hey, we need to evaluate and assess. Does God want to lead us to stop some stuff? Does our life today look still very much like our life pre-Jesus? And, and man, do we need to let God kind of point out why that is and where we need to shift and change?
I promise you that anytime we trust him and his leadership, it's scary because we're taking our hands off of something that we really like. But I also promise you that he is a perfect, good father who would not give you bad gifts, who would not hurt you. He might harm you in a moment, right? Just for a second, make it hurt. My mom used to harm me with that belt just for a minute. But she would never do something that she thought was for the long-term hurt of my life. Neither will your father. Will you let him lead you? Would you open up your soul today just in this moment? Just to what God might point out to you and call you to repentance in. It might be something you need to start acting in. It might be something you need to stop acting in. Maybe relationship stuff. I don't know, but will you let God lead you? And will you make a commitment to being present, to showing up for the renewing of your mind with Jesus? In just a moment, we're going to take communion. So this message is perfect <laughs> for this moment. Paul tells us of communion that as we take this bread and as we take this cup, the bread symbolizing Jesus' body that was torn to shreds, nerves exposed, flesh torn, ripped, gruesomely hanging, pain, his body. That's what the bread represents. The cup represents his blood shed for us, his blood that covers us such that God would see us as righteous just like Jesus is. The Bible says that this is a moment when we obey Jesus because he's commanded us to do this regularly. This is a moment when we obey Jesus by remembering what he's done for us, attaching our hopes to it through a physical, tangible act. And we set our sights forward to the day when we'll sit with him and we'll have a meal with him again in a party like no other in heaven. If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. Listen, don't feel weird. No pressure. Don't participate in this if you don't know Jesus. Just sit and watch a bunch of people who are humble enough to go, I need that. I need to remind myself that I need that. So just sit and watch that follower of Jesus. We're told in Scripture, evaluate and assess your heart. Allow God to search and try you before you take this act. Because to come knowing that there's sin in your life that you're not walking away from, that you have no plan of walking away from, to have that set up in your heart and then come forward and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, is to take him for granted and spit in his face. We all struggle with sin. The question is not whether there's some sinfulness in us. The question is, is are we truly fighting it? Are we seeking to put to death the old us? And if the answer is yes, then I would invite you to come forward and remember the Jesus who died for you so that in your imperfect efforts to put to death the old you, you're already covered by his perfect righteousness. We're going to pray. Then we're going to sing together. And as we start to sing, you can come. You don't have to wait on a prompt from me to come forward and get the elements. You don't have to wait on a prompt from anybody to take the elements. You can come get them. Take them back to your seat with you, whatever it may be. But tell him thank you. Remember what he's done for you. And find hope in the fact that he's done it. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would let this moment be impactful to our souls. Not because we get it all just right technically but because we're seeking to step in faith and obedience to what you've called us to Jesus I pray that you would give us a sense of holy discontent deep in our souls and that you would show us and call us away from our acts of faithlessness 
that you would encourage us about what you can do in us to help us put on the new self and get rid of the old self. Jesus, I thank you with all my life. I'll fail this afternoon, but for right now, I just tell you I'm so grateful for your death and your pain and your agony. That was mine. Jesus, we just, man, we just say thank you and we claim it. We claim it. We claim your forgiveness and your acceptance, not on our best days when we're best honoring you, but even in the moments when we're struggling the hardest, we're yours because you made us so through your death and resurrection. We thank you for giving your body for us, for letting people spit in your face, for letting people mock you as you hung naked and had the ability to call down obliterating force on them, and yet you didn't. You were silent when spat upon. You were obedient in pain and mockery. And that's not just some story, Jesus. You are hearing us pray to you now, and you did those things on this earth many years ago. It's real. Thank you. Thank you for the fresh reminder that we need you and of all you've done for us to fill that need. Lead us forward as we celebrate you now and how to put off the old and put on the new in you. Remind us, prompt us, draw us, make us restless until we are committed to finding you to renew our minds. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you continue to do. Compel us by your kindness to respond with lives of worship. We ask it all for your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to 